30. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. We've been in this sermonic series called Multiply, a study through the book of Acts. And here, we've, we've said Acts 1-8 is kind of the, the verse that kind of unlocks the structure, the flow for the book of Acts. And it's Acts chapter 1 and 8 that Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. And when he comes upon them, he's going to empower them to be his witnesses, both um, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I was thinking, by the way, um, I don't know if you guys were aware that if your students uh, need your children need something to help them remain engaged in the sermon. We do have kids bulletins at the back on the hospitality table, so it's fine for them to go and get one. There's got a word search on there. There's also uh, a, a way for them to track um, how many times certain words are used in the sermon. So that's on the back table. There's crayons back there as well, right there on the hospitality table for them. So what we've seen so far in Acts. Um, is that the gospel has gone to Jerusalem, it's in all Judea, it's now reached the Samaritans, and now it's going, the gospel is now going to the Gentiles. Friends, this is a big deal, that the gospel is going beyond just the Jews, and now is going to the Gentiles. Because of the gospel, there is now a new community, a new family called the church. And this church, through the gospel, is to be an international, multi-ethnic group of people that are united not around nationalism, patriotism, ethnocentrism, or anything else, but Jesus Christ and him alone. Friends, you have to understand that this Jew-Gentile thing is a big deal. It, it, Jews didn't like the Gentiles, and the Gentiles didn't like the Jews. Matter of fact, Jews said Gentiles, they were unclean. Matter of fact, they said, the, for the Samaritans at least, they said they were not pure breeds. They were, they were a mixed group, and they were impure. Friend, Jews and Gentiles now being reconciled through the gospel would be like the Ku Klux Klan and the Black Panthers getting together. Only the gospel can do something like that. And so now we see the gospel going now to Gentiles as well. Jews, they essentially saw salvation from a nationalistic perspective. They said this Messiah is going to come, it's going to come, and he's going to free us from the oppression of all of our enemies, all our oppressors, and now we're going to be the big thing on earth. But what they didn't realize is that God had a great missionary program to include not just the Jews, but people from every nation and every tribe and every language. God has always had a heart for all people. And so now we see the church going, it started in Jerusalem, and now this missionary program is going northwest, and it reaches Antioch. Antioch sits right on the Mediterranean Sea. So it was a major hub. 
It, it, there was a lot of business and commerce that took place there. And so now we see the gospel going to this metropolis. And now, this morning, I simply want to share with us some lessons from First Christian Church of Antioch. It's in Antioch that it says they are first called Christians. By the way, before they were ever called Christians, this is what the Bible calls this new community of people, believers, saints. Disciples, followers of the way. It's not all the way until here in Acts chapter 11 that we get this title, Christian. And notice this, we didn't call ourselves Christians. The culture called us Christians. It was meant to be a derogatory term from the culture to us, but it stuck. Even when they were trying to demean us, I'm still glad that they would say the one thing that I, didn't, I can identify these people by is Christ. The question for the room today is, when people look at us, do they see Christ? Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get back here. Lessons from First Christian Church in Antioch. And I think these lessons should be um, uh, replicated in the church today. The first lesson that this church in Antioch, First Christian Church of Antioch teaches us is, your, your notes are going to be real easy this morning. They're all two or two words and the last one's three words. The first lesson that the First Christian Church of Antioch teaches us is mission matters. Mission matters matters. Now, before I get into this, let me notice that I said mission and not missions. I'm for missions. I, I, I'm all for missions and overseas missionaries, international missionaries, but the problem is we think missions and we think going to China and India and Africa. It's something that happens over there, uh, uh, across the sea, across the pond. But mission happens wherever there is a believer in Jesus Christ. Look over your backyard. Hopefully you don't get shot as a mission field. When you show up for that 8 o'clock a.m. tomorrow, God just sent you into a new mission field. Friends, the first Christian church of Antioch teaches us that mission matters. Here's my point. The church exists because of mission and for mission. Again, the church exists because of mission and for mission. Where are you getting this from in the text, Brandon? Verse 19 opens by telling us that persecution led to a scattering of the saints. And as they scattered, as they are going, they spoke the word. In other words, they shared the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. They, they were going to unreached people groups who had not yet received the gospel. And so the text says that the majority of those who were scattered, they first just went to the Jews only. Remember, they're still trying to figure out this whole gospel, Jesus, church thing. And so they thought this was just for the Jews. But the text goes on to say that there were some who went further north to Antioch and spoke to the Hellenists. 
Now, the text says that in Antioch, they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Notice that these were not apostles. These were not prophets, elders, but ordinary folk like you and I sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus. Now, when the text says preaching here, the better translation from the Greek is they were evangelizing the Lord Jesus. They were proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. They were good news proclaimers. Now, it says not only did they go to the Jews, but then they went to the Hellenists. Now, scholars have gone back and forth debating who are the Hellenists. Remember back in Acts chapter 6, there was this complaint that arose in the church between Hebrew and Hellenist. The Hellenists were complaining that they were being neglected at the serving of the table and that there was favoritism being shown to the Hebrew widows. In that text, what we said in Acts chapter 6 was that the Hellenists referred to Greek-speaking Jews. In Acts chapter 6, the Hellenists referred to Greek-speaking Jews. They, they were Jews that had been acculturated. They had assimilated into Greek culture. The problem, though, is that's not always how the term Hellenist is used in the New Testament. Sometimes it refers to Greek-speaking Jews, but other times it refers just to pure Greeks which means then that they are Gentiles. Remember, Jews and Gentiles, they're still trying to figure out what this looks like to be reconciled. So I am of the opinion that what Hellenists mean here in this context, because context is crucial, because anytime you take a text out of context, all you have left is a... Y'all bad. Remember, at first he says those who went through Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to the Jews only. And so what Luke has to be doing is he's showing a contrast. One group went to the Jews only, but there were some who went beyond just the Jews, and now they're going to Gentiles. And so this group of people that go now to the Gentiles, they, they just declare the Lord Jesus. And so what happens? I wonder. I just want to ask a question. What happens when God's people are faithful in sharing the gospel? Huh. I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believe turn to the Lord. Luke helps us to see that their success, that this, the people turning to the Lord is not the result of human persuasiveness. No, 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 no. He says the hand, the reason that they were successful was because the hand of the Lord was with them. That, that, that phrase, the hand of the Lord, refers to the power of God. In, in other words, Luke is helping us to understand that it is God. It's, he is the one who causes unbelievers to come to belief. It is God who converts. It is God who saves. We, we are simply his instruments. 
By, by the way, that's why you ought not put too much stock in your ability or inability to convince someone of the gospel. Don't put that much stock in your ability to persuade somebody because you have no power in yourself. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit to go into a dead man and, and, and work on their heart and give them new life, there would be no conversion. All we have to do is tell them Jesus died for you. And he was buried and he rose on the third day. And if you believe, you will be saved. And then let God do his job. One of the barriers to us being good news proclaimers and good news sharers is that we put too much stock in ourselves. Well, I, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. Just proclaim the gospel and, and watch God work, friends. Salvation is, it's a all of God. He says, the hand of the Lord was with him, and a great number of people were converted. He, he says, a great number of people turned to the Lord. I like that. I like that. that that's crucial, friends. That word turned, it's important because it's the idea of repentance. Repent. repent. We don't like that word very much in the Western church anymore. Repent. Church, there can be no salvation without repentance. Re repentance, it's a turning from something and embracing something else. It's, 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 so for some people, it's turning from some other religion and turning to Jesus Christ and him alone. For some people, it's turning from their own self-will and turning to Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. For others, it's a belief that if I'm just a good person, I, I can get to heaven and turn from, from that misteaching and misunderstanding and turn to Jesus Christ, who his person and his work on Calvary at the cross. There must be repentance. When one person comes from unbelief to belief, that's a sign of repentance. There was turning. Friends, so now we have in Antioch, some missionaries went up to Antioch, proclaimed the gospel, and now we have more believers. So guess what we have? A church. This, friends, was a church plant in Antioch. Remember, the point is mission matters. Without faithful missionaries, this church would not exist. I'm talking about the church in Antioch. Friends, that's why I say the ch church exists because of mission. Because people were faithful to the mission of God, now we have new converts. And once you have new converts, now you can have a church, because the church is the people. Friends, the church is a part of God's great missionary program. Think about it. If it were not for God's mission, Jesus never would have left heaven and came to earth. And if Jesus would have not been a faithful missionary, there would have been no apostles. And if there were no apostles committed to mission, there would be no New Testament church. If there were no New Testament church committed to God's mission, there would be no hmm, 
first evangelical free church. And if there was no first evangelical free church committed to mission, there would be no West evangelical free church. If there were no West evangelical free church committed to mission, there would be no British church. So what's incumbent upon us as a church is to be, 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 oh, don't curse. We must be focused on the mission of God. Friends, we exist because of mission and we exist for mission. What Jesus commissioned his disciples to do in Acts 1 and 8 also applies to us. And this, friends, is how multiplication happens. So this first Christian church of Antioch teaches us that we exist because of mission and we exist for mission. Mission matters. Y'all stuck because I said I was going to cuss. I was just going to say hell bent. Come on, y'all. Y'all know I'm saved. I don't know any other curse words, except for the ones I learned from Cunnilingus. So the first Christian church of Antioch teaches us that mission matters. But not only do they teach us that mission matters, secondly, they teach us maturity matters. Maturity matters. Friends, we are called to mature. Tour in Christ. Where do you see that in the text, Brandon? So the report of this new growth in Antioch reaches the mother church in Jerusalem. And this mother church in Jerusalem says we need to support this new church plant. And the best way for them to support this new church plant is they send one of their own to this church plant, a fellow by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas goes to Antioch, and when he gets there, he sees God's grace, how God's grace has been poured out on this new community of people. And the text says he was made glad. Verse 23 says, Barnabas, when he gets to this new church plant, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That word exhorted means to encourage. Barnabas' ministry was one of encouragement. Matter of fact, the name Barnabas, bar, meaning son of, Nabas means encouragement. His name literally means son of encouragement. His spiritual gift was one of encouragement. He, he, he was one that was a cheerleader for this new church. And his encouragement to this new church was to persevere. That, that, that's it, the thought behind remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. His thought was you need to persevere. Cling to Christ. And friends, that, that's a good word. For a new church, persevere. Be steadfast. Don't don't waver. Be firm 
in your faith because being a follower of Christ is not easy. Being a new church is not easy. So Barnabas says, persevere. Don't, don't give up. When it feels like we're just spinning our wheels, persevere. When it feels like we're not really making a difference, and by the way, yes, we are, persevere. When it feels like there's more work to be done than workers to do the work, Barnabas says, persevere. When the culture doesn't accept you, Barnabas says, persevere. When it's unpopular to be a follower of Christ, persevere. Oh, you can help me preach this thing. When the culture says that you church people, you Christians are nothing but hateful and tolerable and closed-minded and ancient, Barnabas' word to us is, help me preach this thing. When, when, when we are misunderstood, the word for us is, when bridge groups are just getting off the ground, but they are yet exploding, they're not what you exactly thought they were, Barnabas' word to us is, when people say you're just a white church with a black purpose, with, with a black pastor, the Barnabas' word to us is, when they say a multi-ethnic church will never work in Wichita, Kansas, Barnabas' word to us is, when you show up and it smells like poop, it does word for us is. You got to keep going, church. It's too soon to quit now. I, 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 let me preach. Let me do a little Spurgeon real quick. Spurgeon, when he was reflecting or preaching about Noah's Ark, he said, have you ever considered the snail? How did the snail get into the ark? He persevered. And friends, we got to be like that snail. Come hell or hot water, we just got to keep persevering. He says, and as they persevere, even in the midst of the poop smell, he, he, the, the text says that a great many people were still added to the Lord. Christ, what we see, church, is Christ is multiplying his church. Christ is building his church. Church, I just want to encourage you this morning to, to, to keep on going. Cling to Christ. Per, persevere. Friends, let me pastor the British church one moment. One of, the, one of the threats to the ongoing unity of our church is this spirit of criticism. Now, I'm the, I, I'm the lead guy here, and so when something comes across my desk, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, it's because somebody is mm, beside themselves over something that happened in the service or outside the service. And half the things that come across my desk, my initial human fleshly response, because you know I am a human, right? is, are you serious? Question mark. And let me tell you something right now. I'm preaching to myself as well. Let me tell you, do you know what the hardest thing for a preacher to do? Listening to preaching. I'm confessing once again and preaching to myself. 
I don't care who it is. It's hard as a preacher that's been called and trained and does this for a lifting. One of the hardest things I do is listening to other preachers, regardless even how good they are. And I have to take off my preaching critical hat and say this is not about how you would preach the text or anything else. This is about God. We preach for the glory of God. So stop listening to how, whether, how well structured the text is or, or, or whether they are actually preaching the text or preaching from the text. Listen for the glory of God. I've listened to sermons and I've said, ooh, that was one of the worst sermons ever. And then the person next to me said, man, that was the best sermon I ever heard. And I'm like, Lord, I can't preach then. All right. Not just in preaching, in music as well. My human response is to approach it critically. I play the organ, and I have to play the piano, and I can't play like manual. But I'm a little somewhat gifted in playing the piano in the organ. I've been a, a worship director. I, I, I've been a minister of music. I've led choirs, all kind of things. And so uh, typically when I listen to music, when I hear the wrong note, I'm like, what is going on? I, 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 I hear manual hit the wrong, hit an E instead of an E flat. I can talk about it because he's not in here right now. And I, be, I instantly become a critic because I feel like in some kind of way I'm an expert in this arena. But I have to realize that, thank you, worship team, Jesus has to be the center. It's not about human performance. It's about giving God glory. And, and one of the things that's creeping in, it's not a big deal yet, is that there's this spirit of, of just being critical. And always criticizing everything can lead to discouragement and disunity. Now, we're going to always pursue excellence in the church said. And excellence, we don't mean perfection. We mean doing the best to our God-given ability. What excellence means, we never say something is good enough when it comes to God and serving. That's what we mean by excellence. And so we always want to pursue excellence, but just because we don't do it like your old church did it don't mean we're doing it the wrong way. And so all I'm trying to get us the point, which is not even in my manuscript, my point is, let's just examine our hearts to make sure we have pure motives. There is healthy criticism. There, there is some that is healthy. But there are also times where we just need to say, this is a preference. Let's go reach the loss. And let's raise them up. Okay, thank you. So Barnabas, he goes to this church in Antioch. He encouraged them. Then the text says he goes to another town by the name of Tarsus. Why is that significant? Because the thing that we know about Tarsus is there's a fellow there by the name of Saul. The same Saul that used to persecute the church. That would hold the cloaks of people so that they could stone Christians. The same Saul called a, a Christ caught stopped on the Damascus road. And he had an encounter with Christ and he was changed. And now he's a believer, a saint, a disciple, a Christian. 
And so Barnabas says, I'm going to go get Saul because Saul can help me here in Antioch. I'm thankful for a man, for someone like Barnabas who doesn't care who gets the credit. He's not a glory seeker, but he just wants the church to be healthy and whole so that it can glorify God. So he goes and gets Saul. And look at verse 26. Here's what it says about Barnabas and Saul. It says, for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Stop. Let's, let's, let's read that. They, they went to Antioch. And listen, y'all. For a whole year, they met with the church and just taught them. Now, if something like that were to happen nowadays, what you would hear from the experts in church growth is that now, oh, y'all are just an internally focused church. Y'all are not mission-minded. Y'all don't care anything about the lost. If something like that were to happen now, now, I don't know, maybe they were evangelizing over this year. I don't know. But all Luke highlights is that they, for a whole year, all they did was teach them. They were, this church was committed to maturity. Their desire, Barnabas and Saul's desire was to help the church grow in their knowledge and understanding of their new found faith. Church maturity matters. You should be growing in your faith for the rest of your life. The Bible makes it clear that maturity matters. Can I, can, can, can I prove it to you? In the Great Commission, here's what Jesus says. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, a lot of, of, a, a lot of seminarians, a lot of preachers, a lot of church growth experts stop reading there. There's a whole other part to the Great Commission. Here it is. Teaching them to obey Everything I have commanded. Friends, the Great Commission is both evangelism and edification. It's, it's, it's reaching the lost and then raising the reached. To do one and not the other is an incomplete commission. And this is exactly what we see in First Christian Church of Antioch. Evangelism leads to converts. But then these new converts need to know what it looks like to be committed to Christ. They needed to grow in their walk with Christ. So guess what they did? They spent a the whole year just teaching them. Why, why do I place such emphasis on this particular ministry when we gather? It's because it's part of the way we mature in Christ. By the way, in the Great Commission, we see what one marker of maturity. What does maturity look like? 
obedience to Christ. It's, I'm not going to do it my way, but I'm going to do it Christ's way. Okay, y'all don't like that point. Watch this one. Ephesians 4, 12. Paul says that Christ has given the gifts to the church and apostles, prophets, evangelists, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. Why, Paul? He says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, that's edification, of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here it is. To mature manhood. What does maturity look like? To the measure of the stature of Christ. So that we would no longer be children. Paul says, Christ has given the church gifts and, and men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip you to help you grow up in your walk with Christ. The fact that he says so that we would no longer be children means that he expects us to grow up, to mature. Some of us, the reason we are not growing is because we're using the wrong standard. Well, I'm better than Connie. I'm better than Josh. I'm better than Taylor. And Paul says you're using the wrong standard. You're using the wrong ruler. You're using the wrong measure. If you want to see maturity, you got to measure yourself up against Christ. Friends, maturity matters. First Christian church, they, they were committed to mission, but they were also committed to maturity. All right, let me, let me give you one last verse, and I'll show you. I'm trying to show you that maturity matters. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Paul, writing to this church at Colossae, he says, Him we proclaim. Him, that's Jesus Christ, we proclaim. Warning everyone, and here's his method, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why, Paul? That we might present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity matters. So first Christian church in Antioch, they teach us mission matters, maturity matters, but then they also teach us that mercy ministry matters. What do you mean mercy ministry? By mercy, I mean compassion. We must be a compassionate people. People that have been transformed by the grace of God become gracious, even in their giving. Watch this. First Christian Church of Antioch was committed to generosity. Verse 27 says that some prophets came um, up from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of those prophets was by the name of Agabus. And here's what Agabus prophesied. He prophesied by the Spirit that there will be a great famine over all the world. By the way, this took place, this is in your text, in the days of Claudius. That last cause there, when Luke says this actually happened, it's important because one way to measure if a prophet is a real prophet is just to see if what they prophesied actually happens. And by the way, in the Old Testament, if you were a false prophet, you were stoned to death. So this new church hears about the famine. And so 
rather than sitting on their blessed assurance, <laughs> they say, we want to give some relief. We want to help. Verse 29, so the disciples, the followers of Christ, everyone, according to his ability, decided to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Friends, look at what, how the gospel transformed. It's Gentiles sending money to the Jews. The Gentiles didn't say they just need to work harder. The Gentiles didn't say they just need to pull, them up, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. The Gentiles say, well, the Jews own all the banks and stuff. Let them take care of themselves in Judea. The Gentiles didn't say, well, that's their problem. We got our own problems here. We're a new church. We need to be looking out for our, our own selves. The Gentiles say, because I God gave his son for me. One way that I can show grace to others is by giving generously to those in need, in legitimate need. Because there, there's, there's a balance to this. I don't have time to get to this because the Bible does say if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. And what it's focusing on there is that people who have the ability to work and they just decide to sit home and play PlayStation and Xbox instead, and click on ESPN, you don't really have that type of obligation to that group of people. But he says, to, the point is that this was a generous church. At most, they were a year old. They hear about this famine, and they said, we're going to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. And friends, this is something to be replicated here at the Bridge Church. We must be a generous church. One of the things I tell people is that the Bridge Church is blessed. We are a blessed church. One of the reasons we are so blessed here at the Bridge Church is because we try to be a blessing. We, our goal is to be a conduit of blessing, not a reservoir. Of blessing. And the church said, we, we are blessed to be a blessing. The British church is so blessed because we are generous. We help individuals in need. We partner with like-minded organizations such as Love Incorporated, which help those in need. Care Porter, which helps families stay together. We partner with like-minded churches, Radiant Church is a new church plant. We give money to them every uh, month. Now, the reason I bring this up is not to brag on the Bridge Church, but to encourage us individually and corporately to continue to be generous. That's a marker of maturity. If you ever want to fight against selfishness, start giving away some stuff. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The church should always take care of its own. We should be a paragon of compassion. A who? We should be the model example of what compassion looks like because if it was not for the mercies of God, Jesus never would have went to the cross and died in our place. 
And those who receive mercy should give mercy. We should be compassionate. That's why we have a line item in our budget for benevolence, to help those in need. Friends, for the New Testament church, generosity was the norm, not the exception. Trust me, us elders, we had to sit and think through some things. We said, wait a minute, we've only, we're not even a year old, and now this new church is trying to get another new church to give them some money? What's wrong with them? Where they do that at? But we said to ourselves, it is never a good time to be generous, humanly speaking. Because the thought process is, well, let's wait till we grow. And when Bill Turner starts making that million dollars a year, and tithing half a million, then we can start being generous. But guess what? As you grow, guess what happens? Your expenses grow. You got more people, so you need more seats. You, you, you need bigger space. You, 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 so there's always going to be more expenses and more things to try to take up your resources. That There's really never going to be a good time to say, all right, now we can be generous. We, don't, we never just give out of our abundance, but giving should be sacrificial. Amen, sir. There should be some things that we have to give up to give. That's why I want us to be a, a sacrificial church. Not when it's always comfortable and convenient. But we say, no, this is going to fund the mission of God. Let's go for it. I think the first Christian church of Antioch gives us some core values. Mission. Maturity. Mercy. That's alliteration. Mission. Maturity. Mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. Let's stand and we'll pray and be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, our hearts have felt. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to gather, to worship together corporately. God, forgive us for our sins, our sinful thoughts, our sinful acts. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, forgiveness is available. Father, we pray now that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers as well. Show us, reveal to us, give us wisdom to pursue maturity, to be mission-minded, to pursue the lost, to be faithful in our witness, and to be a people of mercy. Now as we depart here, Father, we pray that you will watch over us, keep us from all hurt, harm, and danger. We pray for traveling grace and arriving mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.